Like I said, uh, we're going to take a break from Galatians, um, probably through the um, Feast of Tabernacles, just so that we can get an understanding of these feasts a little bit better. And so we just started this week, Yom Teruah, which Yom is simply the word for day. Teruah is like the trumpet or a shout. And uh, we're going to kind of talk maybe a little bit more of that in connection when we get through Tabernacles, some of the teachings. But I wanted to give you guys a basic understanding here of what this is all about, because it is important. We are supposed to be right now in what is called the 10 days of awe. I'll show you that in a moment. But in essence, from the day of the blowing of the trumpets, there's going to be 10 days until Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And those 10 days are called the 10 Days of Awe. And at that time, we are supposed to be examining ourselves, preparing ourselves, because a trumpet call is supposed to be a warning. And it is a call. There's a number of things that happened when the trumpet would blow in Scripture. Number one, we see that when the commandments were given there in Exodus chapter 19 and following, it sounded as a call to bring Moses up to God. We see it as a sound of war before when there was war in Judges 3 and many other places, they would blow the trumpet. Now, there's a reason for that that I'm going to show you, but just to give you a uh, quick answer at this point, when you blew that trumpet the angels would come and fight for you. This is why when we would go out and evangelize, Dan Woods and I uh, would often go to the Mona Parking Lot Museum in Kearney. And he would blow that trumpet oftentimes before we would evangelize because of a verse in Numbers saying that very thing. And we'll look at that. And it is kind of crazy. Some of our most spiritual evenings that we had was when he would blow that trumpet before we would evangelize. We see it's the start of the Jubilee year. We're going to talk about that as well. That's important. When kings were coronated, it was blown. Which is why I think it's that's when Jesus comes. Again, when does he come? At the sound of the last trumpet. Because he is going to be coronated as king. And the prince of this world who now stands condemned is going to be cast out. And the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God reigning under our king, Yeshua. And that's exactly what it says in Revelation chapter 11. At the seventh trumpet, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God. These are the things we should be meditating upon, thinking about, and celebrating right now. We see regathering dispersed Israel when he was calling them all together. Well, again, this is why what happens at the seventh trumpet, it is that gathering of a rapture type thing that we see. First Thessalonians talks about it. First Corinthians 15 talks about it. When at the, at the last trumpet, our bodies will be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of the eye. We see it was to warn of danger coming. Likewise, that this trumpet, as we do this, it's a warning. Get ready. Get serious. 
Because there's some serious things about to happen in ten days. The Day of Atonement. And we'll talk about that later. And then obviously the Messiah's arrival, which is kind of what we've already shown you that those other things kind of symbolically pointed towards. But when we read in Zechariah 9.14, it basically says it. That when the Lord comes back, when the Messiah arrives again, it's going to be with the sound of a trumpet. And that's why we blow the trumpet. Now, for those of you who maybe haven't gone through this with us before, uh, today, my daughter and I had a great Sabbath together where we just went through. We've been wanting to get a cheat sheet done for you guys. Uh, more like sheets, but um, at least condensed. And so today we were working on just those evidences talking about clean and unclean food. Did Jesus ever break the law? Uh, those type of things. And... This is one of them that we talked about because this is one that so many people use against us saying, oh, you do the festivals? You keep the Sabbath? Well, Jesus did away with all of that stuff. Look, in Colossians 2, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. In other words, Christ came, it's all over. Wrong. Now, I'm not going to get into all the explanation, but what I want you to see is he's saying, don't let anyone judge you. Meaning they're going to judge you, but it doesn't say, so stop doing these things. Stop regarding festivals and new moons and Sabbaths because they're over when Christ came. It says, don't let anybody judge you because in celebrating these things, you are pronouncing and celebrating what they are a shadow of. Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So don't let anybody judge you. If you feel guilty or ashamed because you want to celebrate these festivals, go read this again. We should be celebrating and celebrating loudly and joyfully among one another. Numbers 15.5 I want to show you that this message, these festivals are not just for the Jew. I get so tired of hearing these Jewish festivals. They're the Lord's festivals, not the Jews. God gave them to the Jew and to the Gentile. Numbers 15.5, one ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you. Those are Gentiles, foreigners. An ordinance... Until Jesus comes throughout your generations. No. An ordinance forever throughout your generations. I think it's numbers oh, 515. Thank you. I'm glad you caught that. I had dyslexia there, apparently. Oh, yeah. And it jumps from 5 to 16. Huh? So... Anyway, verse 16, one law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. Not this dual covenant theology that we talked about here a few weeks ago. Not where there's a rule for the Jews and then there's a rule for the Gentiles. No, there is one rule for us all. God's word, period. Numbers 10.10 10. 
This is uh, one of my favorites. In the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, by the way, Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, is the only festival on the first day of the month. And so that applies here. Your appointed feasts and at the beginning of your month. So at the new moons, when the sliver of the moon is first kind of shown, that is the first of the month. Our calendar is not the Jewish calendar. Okay? The, the Gregorian calendar is different. So... The lunar calendar is the beginning of the sliver of the, for the moon when it first starts to, to uh, get brighter and brighter. So you were to blow the trumpets. Now, some interesting things about this. First of all, there are appointed feasts. God's appointed time. The word there is moedim in Hebrew, and it is an appointed time. Not whenever you want. An appointed specific time. One of the reasons I like this is I want to show you the Targum. The Targum, remember, is the Aramaic translation of Scripture. It's all it is. We know that the, the Targum was... It is Scripture. It's just the Aramaic. So it's an older version. So a lot of good stuff in there. Let me show you the same verse in the Targum. And in the day of your rejoicings and in your solemnities, basically your feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and your consecrated victims, your sacrifices, and they shall be for a good memorial to you before the Yahuwah your Elohim, the Lord your God, for Satan shall be troubled at the sound of your jubile notes. I love that. Satan hates it when we blow those trumpets. And I think that's why when we would go out and evangelize, we would have some of the most spiritual evenings because that trumpet is being blown. And I don't get it. I don't understand it. But there's something happening in the spiritual realm and Satan hates it. And so that is why this Feast of Trumpets is important for us to recognize and to be celebrating. God said, do it. It's a statute forever. So let's do it. Aaron and Danielle invited us, uh, I don't know, Tuesday, when I was, this week, it's a blur. And so we went out there to, to celebrate and to bring this in. And maybe this year you didn't get it done, but I want to encourage you that these calendars, these appointed feasts, that they get put on your calendar right now for next year. So that you block those days out. So that you say, we are going to do this because God has asked us to do it and we're going to be blessed because of it. Not because you're trying to be a better Christian than somebody else. Not because you're you know, earning your salvation. We've talked about that a thousand times. And I know I get tired of saying it, but in case people listen to this, Without hearing the rest of what I say, I, I have to say it, so please just put up with me. But Satan 
hates it. I think it's because Satan knows these festivals are important and that that's when his doom is going to come. He knows that at the sound of the trumpet, he's going down. And that is why this is a time where we blow the trumpets and you rejoice and you yell and you shout. Just like, by the way, a picture of the Lord coming back in Jericho. Before they entered the promised land, after seven trumpets, on the seventh trumpet, there was shouting. What were they shouting? I don't know. But it was a rejoicing that God was fighting for them. That's what we should be doing right now. Lord, he is coming back. He is bringing us into the promised land and we are going to shout. I don't care if it makes me look weird. I'm going to shout. It is time to celebrate or prepare for some warning. It's a warning as well to those people in Jericho. What did it make them do? I mean, they were shivering with fear, trembling in fear. Their hearts were melting like wax. I don't mean to be crass, but I'll bet they were peeing their pants when they began to yell and shout. And then when the walls began to crumble and fall apart. Let me tell you something. If you're not a believer, when we cry out and warn the Lord is coming, we're announcing the coronation of our King. He is coming back and you have ten days of awe. You better be ready. They ought to be shivering in fear. So, Numbers 10, verse 5, backing up a little bit. It says, when you sound the advance, that word there is teruah, of Yom Teruah. The camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. So, sounding the advance in Hebrew there, it's when you teruah, when you shout, when you blow the trumpet. Numbers 23, 21, the Lord, his God is with him, and the shout Literally there, the teruah of a king is among them. 1 Samuel 4, 5, When the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel teruahed so loudly that the earth shook. So we're not talking about, yay. Okay? We're talking celebration. We're talking Jamie Walden, boy kind of thing going to get up in your face. How dare you, devil? Because I've got the Lord on my side. Job 33, 26, He shall pray to God and he will delight in him. He shall see his face with a teruah of joy, for he restores to man his righteousness. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, I don't have it here, but the Lord will come with a great shout and a trumpet blow. That's why this is important, folks. This isn't about the Jews. This is about Yeshua coming back. This is about our deliverance. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. We really don't have, in modern-day Christianity, a celebration for this. But God had one for us, and somehow the devil, because he hates it so much, got it to be removed. Just like the law of God, he got it to be removed because he knows there are blessings in it. He does not want you to know the truth. So, 
This day is a memorial of something. It says that in scripture that it is to be a memorial. Well, the question is a memorial of what? Because it doesn't say. So all we have to go on is what we see the trumpets blown as. And we went through that. The coronation of the king. A warning of war coming. Uh, basically gathering Israel together. So it must be a memorial of all of those things. And so, like I said, this is the first of the month that that happens. And now we have ten days of awe, it is called, until the tenth day of the month, which is going to be this Thursday which is going to be then Yom Kippur. And in these days, these 10 days of awe, we are to be celebrating that our, our king is coming. We are to be warning people, repent, because you don't want to be on the wrong side of the king coming. Now, one other thing I need to talk about in that I think is important here with Yom Teruah is I keep calling it Yom Teruah. Typically, how you're going to hear it called today is this, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh is the word head in Hebrew. Ha is the word the. Shana is the word year. Head of the year. And so we see it called Rosh Hashanah, head of the year, typically by the secular Jews even to this day. And I want to show you why it is called that and why I'm really not calling it that anymore. We know that by Jewish tradition, they say the earth was created at this time, and there's all these different things that happened. We talked about those last year. I'm not going to get into that this year. This year, I just want to show you that while they were in Babylon, remember that they were taken captive to Babylon for 70 years. While they were there, the culture of Babylon influenced them greatly. Just like why we have been in this world, the influence of this world has been great on us. Christmas, Easter, Halloween, all of those things have influenced the church. A Sunday worship. I mean, we could go on and on. Those are all cultural things that are not biblical. Well, in Babylon, they had two new years. History is very clear about this. They had one at the beginning of the year and one six months later in the midst of the year on the seventh month. The seventh month of the Jewish calendar. But their celebration, their new year was called Akitu. And so what happened is the Jews, while they were in Babylon, to celebrate Akitu, they basically called this the new, the head of the year, just like in Babylon, it was also ahead of their year. And it was kind of like what people have done with Halloween. They took a pagan holiday of a Ketu and they Christianized it and said, well, let's do our festival of Yom Teruah because it's at the same time in the seventh month. And so they called it the Rosh Hashanah, head of the year. Because you will find nowhere in Scripture is this festival called Rosh Hashanah. It's not in the Bible. Where did it come from? It came 
from the Jews only. Okay? So, what we're going to see is that since, as I said, since these two coincided at the same time, just like what we see, Halloween and harvest, the church has said, let's not call it Halloween, let's call it a harvest festival. Okay? That's exactly what happened. But let me show you scripturally why this is not the head of the year. Speak to the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, that's now, that's Yom Teruah. You shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. Here it is, that memorial that I was telling you about. A holy convocation. This isn't just any day. It's appointed and it is to be holy. If God makes something holy, don't make it unholy. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So, it is to be a day of rest as well. Exodus 12.2, speaking of the month of Nisan, which is the first month of the year. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Not the month of Tishri, the seventh month. The month of Nisan, Scripture says, is to be the first year. Exodus twenty three sixteen, the Feast of Ingathering, which, by the way, is Sukkot, which is, you know, in another week or so. So the seventh month is the end of the year. What we're seeing is this, Leviticus 25.8, I think is going to help you understand that maybe. You shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself. Seven times seven, which is 49 years. At the end of 49 years, you have a jubilee year. And so at the time of the seven Sabbaths of years, shall, you, shall be to you 49 years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month. And so the Jubilee year was pronounced on the seventh month, not the end of the year, but it was the end of your year Sabbaths and the beginning of the Jubilee. So for uh, Sukkot, pretty, uh, what day did they say here? Tenth day, yes. On the Day of Atonement. And so on the Day of Atonement, you have the Jubilee, but what was supposed to happen is they're going to now pass the shofar around so that it is blown for the next six months to announce the beginning of the new year and the year of Jubilee. And so it goes on and it says, Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. So that took place for six months where they would proclaim that throughout the land. Uh, A six-month warning. So what I find interesting is, could that play into an end time? Why that six months before a jubilee? I don't know. I don't have an answer. But it was only that 49th year that this was done. So, 
If that clears anything up or just causes more confusion, I don't know. But anyway, that's what uh, why it was the end of the year as far as the Jubilee, when that would be pronounced. It was a close of it. Brian, yes. Yes. Just like what Hebrews says is there, there, there's no need for sacrifice anymore, the blood sacrifices. We see Romans saying that we now offer ourselves as living sacrifices, <clears throat> holy and pleasing to God. And so, yeah, the sacrifices are done in essence to blood sacrifices. Now, where things get a little cloudy and weird is when we go and look in Ezekiel and in Zechariah, I think, 14 we see that in the millennial kingdom, there are still sacrifices being made. However, those sacrifices are not sin offerings. They're not blood offerings. They are thank offerings. How that all works beyond me, I don't have an answer for you. But yes, this, the blood sacrifices, done. Jesus is the end of those. And Hebrews is clear about that. And the Torah, the Old Testament, predicted that as well. Yes, yeah, we don't make any offerings outside of what Romans says, is we are now the living sacrifices. We are the temple, and what we do is offering ourselves as living sacrifices. For this is your spiritual act of worship, it says. Therefore, we do, in a sense, make offerings, but it's with what we do. Our actions, our behaviors, our worship, our praise. So there is sacrifice, just not blood sacrifice. Um, Leviticus 25, or we did that one, Second uh, Thessalonians 2.1, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the, our gathering together to him. We ask you not to be, too, or to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, is revealed. The son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So what's interesting is that in Second Thessalonians here, we're talking about the coming of the Lord. We know when that is, scripturally speaking, as far as trumpets and so on it's what had happened is there have been people who said oh the lord has already come and that was disturbing some of these people in thessalonica and so paul is basically saying don't let anybody deceive you by saying that that's wrong because you ought to know better because before the lord can come back there has to be a great falling away this is why i say the church will become apostate before the great and coming day of the Lord. Maybe someday that'll happen. Progressive church and all of that kind of garbage that we see today. There is a great falling away and what is being called Christianity today doesn't even bear a resemblance of Scripture. 
And it says that the man of lawlessness then is going to be revealed when that happens. Has the man of lawlessness been revealed yet? I don't think so. I think there are some people in the running. But we don't know. If you recall on the message, Corona End Times Watch, I said that, as Daniel Joseph had taught, that we might be in the horses. The white horse, Corona, may have been released because that person riding the horse is given a Corona. Literally, that's what it says in the Greek. And the next thing would be the red horse of communism. I think we're well on our way. And then we see the black horse of famine, plague, a third of the world dying by a disease. We could be on our way. And in that first three and a half years, if I understand the timing right, which I don't know if I do or not, the first three and a half years before the Antichrist is revealed, everybody loves the guy. He's the hero. You're going to look up to him. Things are going okay. We're, we're surviving. It's tolerable. And we have hope in this guy. And he comes, but then in the midst of that year, the middle of it, everything's going to turn and it's going to go south fast. If, and that is a big capital I, capital F, if those seals have been broken, there's a possibility we have another less than two years left before the Antichrist will be revealed and it would be probably around this time. We'll find out. I'm not making a prediction. I'm just saying store this thing and keep be watchful. Watch so that you are not deceived. That's all I'm saying. Um, this man of lawlessness, he opposes and exalts himself. He wants to be God, called God. He wants worship. I want to remind you, how do you worship the devil? Do you have to be a saintness and sign up for that? Disobey God. Disobey God, you've just worshipped the devil. You obey God, that's how you worship God. You disobey God, you've just given the devil worship. That's what the devil wanted in the Garden of Eden. As soon as they disobeyed, he got their worship. That's what it is. Remember, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Obedience or disobedience. And so, this is what we have to be watchful for. How do we know what is being obedient? What's in the book? Okay? The book is telling us these are statutes forever. The book tells us that the disciples practiced and celebrated these festivals. That's one of the things that Eden and I were going through today, showing the apostles kept these festivals. It's right there in Scripture. So if we don't do them, is that disobedience? Absolutely. There's no question mark behind that at all. It is disobedience. Does that mean you're not a Christian? No. 
I am disobedient to God in a lot of ways. Thanks be to God. Who can rescue me from this body of death? My constant screw-ups. But I'll tell you what. I'm going to try and do my best because I want to worship Him the way He wants to be worshipped. 2 Thessalonians 2.1 Or I guess I looked at that. What, what did I just do? I got that slide twice. That's why. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is in according to the working of Satan. It's just interesting to me that the coming of him Like, what's going to happen before he gets there, before he's revealed, there's going to be all kinds of works of Satan. Man, that seems oddly familiar today. With all power, signs, and lying wonders. Huh. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Deception. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. What's truth? Thy word is truth, the scriptures tell us. John says, your word is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So we need to be going back to the word and abandon culture, abandon our upbringing, abandon all of this Babylonian garbage that we have allowed into our life. And as Revelation is at 16 or 18 says, come out of her, my people. It's time to get out. And as we read there in Timothy before, God will manifest himself to who? To those who obey and keep my commandments. Last week or the week before, I said every step of obedience that I've taken in my life never got me one more step closer to heaven because Jesus did that. But every step I've taken... I saw blessings in God manifesting some sort of truth to me through it. I'm telling you, you guys start following God's word. Celebrate these things and watch him manifest himself to you. Watch. He will. So for this reason. I mean, I'm going to back up and say that other part again. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, since they're not saved, since they didn't love the truth, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. As I mentioned here last week, what's the lie? This is singular. There's some big lie. And these are people who already have rejected God. They didn't love the truth. They rejected the truth. And so because of rejecting the truth, rejecting God, there's some lie that's going to come about that everybody's going to believe. Maybe. I I don't know what that lie is, but I find that interesting. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So guys, some of these things that the last year and a half or better that we, I've been challenging you with, that maybe some of you are struggling with inside and say, I, I, I see it, I just can't do it. I see it, I just, don't, I just don't know yet. What are you waiting for? I think you see it in the Word, but what you don't see is what the culture and the other modern day Christianity is showing you. But I think deep down, you know I can see it in the Word. I just Something's holding me back. 
Is it the love of this world? Is it the love of what people are going to think of you? Or is it love of God's word, Torah, that drives what we do? So, I can not answer that question. Only you can answer that question for yourself. But these people love unrighteousness. Again, what is unrighteousness? Anything that goes against the word of God. Do we love unrighteousness more than we love the word of God? Do we love the things of this world more than the things of the world to come? If we're not warning people, if I don't warn you of truth, then blood be on my head. And if I truly believe what God's word says, how can I be silent? I can't. I have to speak truth. It's just like Jeremiah says there in chapter 20, verse 9. His word is like a fire in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. It's got to come out. Daniel eleven thirty six. This Antichrist, still it says, speaking of the same thing we see in Thessalonians, he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods and shall prosper. Going to be very wealthy, probably, till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the god of his fathers nor the desire of women. There's possible different explanations to that. Maybe he's gay. To maybe uh, he doesn't care about women's rights or more of an Islamic view of women. I, I don't know. Things to watch for. Nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses, military might, maybe, strength, I, I don't know. And a God which his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. I just show you this because this is the resume of the Antichrist. This is what you need to watch for. And it's around, I think, one of these years of trumpets that some of these things are going to be revealed. We'll see. But watch. Um... You know, Matthew chapter 24 and Daniel 9 also talk about this Antichrist setting up an abomination in the corner of the temple. And uh, we see the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, what we celebrate when we celebrate the Feast of Dedication, is a, a spitting image of the Antichrist. When we get to that period, we'll talk more about it then. But uh, anyway... Isn't it interesting that even in Matthew 24 or Luke 17, when Jesus is talking about this time period that he's warning us about, he tells you this, pray that your flight does not take place in winter or on Sunday, on the Sabbath. If the Sabbath didn't mean anything to Jesus, why is he warning us to pray when you see Jerusalem surrounded 
that you should pray that your flight does not take place. He said, he tells you, flee, flee to the mountains, get away. When you see this happening, run. But pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath. Must mean something. Yes, there are those today who will believe that Matthew 24 was fulfilled in 70 A.D. There are certainly some uh, connections and commonalities to that, but there's all kinds of things that never did happen in 70 A.D. that have to happen. And so, just like we've talked about many times, the, the Jews don't see prophecy as one and done. It's cyclical. And so you have many foreshadowings until the ultimate fulfillment takes place. And I think that's one of 70 AD was a picture of it. But this is an end time event. And immediately after that, the sun is going to be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars are going to fall from the sky. And you will see the sign of the Son of Man appearing in the heavens. He's coming back. Didn't happen in 70 AD. So... Anyway, apparently Jesus expects then the Sabbath to continue if he warns you to pray for it not to happen on that day. Zechariah 14.1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken. The houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley. This is the future of Jerusalem. I hear all these people getting all excited. Get the Jews back to Israel. Get the Jews back to Israel. Guys, if they don't know the gospel, they're lost. Israel is not the answer. The, the, the land of Israel. Jesus is the answer. Those people living in Israel, those of you who went with us, you see, this is not a godly country, especially after you remove all the tourists, right? It is not a godly country. There is trouble that lies ahead. And that's also what we see in Revelation 6 as well. We see it also in Revelation 16 through 18 too. The two witnesses are going to go there. And we even see that Jerusalem is figuratively called Babylon there. So, this is the future. This is what some of these things have to happen or are going to happen that we need to be watching out for. Matthew says, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet here in Matthew 24. When that happened in 70 AD, I didn't see. But Isaiah 27 verse 13 also says, they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's what's going to happen. And this is why we shout and sound the trumpet on Yom Teruah. These are things that we are to be remembering, meditating upon, watching out for. Because there's a trumpet blast, and that means we need to get ready. So, 
1 Thessalonians 4.15 For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So we see this as the rapture. Boom! Raptured! Heaven! Woo! Nope. Wrong. It is trumpets. Rapture. Part way up. You're not going the whole way. You're just in the clouds. What's he going to do with you after that? Takes you to Jerusalem. That is the gathering of the four corners. He takes you to Jerusalem and then, now you will be with the Lord forever. But heaven does not happen now until after the Armageddon battle and all these other things that are going to take place. Isaiah 58.1 Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. That cry aloud, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Isaiah 50, I love this because here, who's supposed to cry out loud? Who's supposed to lift up their voice like a trumpet? Yeah, us, we are. We are the ones that are supposed to be doing this. In this period between trumpets, this last Tuesday to now Thursday of this week, This is what we're supposed to be doing. We are the shofars. We are the trumpets. We are the ones that are supposed to be lifting up our voices. We are the ones that are supposed to be warning people, the Lord's coming back. Are you right with God? Do you know Him? We're the ones supposed to be calling them to repentance. Tell my people their transgression. Just as before God came down on Mount Sinai, when there were trumpet calls and smoke on the mountain, What was supposed to happen before that? They were supposed to be in sackcloth and they were supposed to be baptizing themselves in repentance. They were supposed to be preparing themselves for the Lord's coming. That's what we're supposed to be doing this week. That's what God has said. You rehearse this until I come. And that's what trumpets is all about. Now, I didn't. Last year we kind of covered this as well, but there were actually 30 days before the Feast of Trumpets that they call the Elul. Now, you add those 30 days before the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah, and the 10 days of awe, you get 40 days. And there's a reason that the Jews do that is partly because of Moses going up on the mountain for 40 days He comes back down and breaks the tablets. He goes back up and receives, he stays with the people for a little bit, goes back up and then comes back down. And there's a 40 day period there of where they are repenting. And what's happening is Moses is mediating to God. God says, get away from him, I'm going to wipe him out. And Moses says, no Lord, blot me out of the book of life. Moses is up there in a sense making atonement for the people. Being a mediator between God and man. And at the end of the 40 days, they are atoned for. 
And so this period of repentance, we're looking forward to that day of atonement. After the ten days of awe, where Jesus is our atonement. Um, I don't know how much I'm going to get done. I'm going to try and get tabernacles done here in 15 minutes, or uh, Trump uh, atonement. We know the spring festivals all point to, as you've heard me say before, Passover, Jesus dies, uh, first fruits, he resurrects from the dead, and Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is given. Very important. Likewise, the fall festivals are just as important. We know that how the fall festival, the Feast of Trumpets, it occurred on the first day of the month, but you never knew when that was going to happen. So the priests were always waiting to see the sliver of the moon. And if there was a cloudy day or whatever, it was postponed. So you never knew for sure when the Day of Trumpets was going to happen. You only knew the season. Just like we are not going to know the day the Lord returns. Nobody knows the day or the hour, but you know the season. I think Scripture has warned you of the season. And so you are to be watching so that this day should not surprise you like it does to the ungodly who he comes like a thief in the night to. I've said it before, but again... If he's coming like a thief in the night to you, you you must not be a saved person, apparently, because at least that's what Scripture says. Maybe it's just you're ignorant. The Scripture says he's coming like a thief to the ungodly. But you, brothers, be on your guard so that this day should not surprise you. So what would happen is all of a sudden when they saw that moon, the priest would blow the trumpet. And throughout there would be a hundred trumpet blows. And a lot of the Jews throughout this whole week, they're blowing their trumpet. I've been trying to blow this thing every day, and I just sound like, it's terrible. I can't blow that thing. But this is what they would do. Everybody would stop their work. Is when they heard that trumpet blow, if they were out in the fields, drop your stuff, and you go to the temple. That's the way it's going to be, guys. Two men will be working out in the field, right? Boom. That's what trumpets is also a picture of. It is the Lord's second coming. We don't know when for sure it's going to be. Now, the rabbis teach that it is at the Feast of Trumpets the resurrection will take place. I think they're probably right because that's what the New Testament said, right? That when the trumpet blows, the dead will rise. We just read that in Thessalonians. So, there's other things that I'm not going to... Um, get into right now because I want to get to atonement a little bit here real quick. Leviticus 16 talks about the day of atonement. There shall be a statute forever for you, forever, not until Jesus comes, in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month, that'll be this Thursday, you shall afflict your souls, do no work at all. This Thursday, I'm asking you guys to afflict your souls. To not, to not work if you can. Okay? <laughs> to, it says as well, whether a native or your own, of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. That means this isn't just for the Jews. It's for you too. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. So, 
that is the biblical directive of what we are to do. And that's about the extent of what we can do. But I'll give you a little bit more. Leviticus 23 also talks about this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tenth day of the seventh month, the day of atonement. It's a holy convocation. Afflict your souls. Offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work. Um, it says that for any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. That was pretty serious. I'm going to get to that right now. Good question. Um, when is it, before I answer that question, it shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls when? On the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening. That means Wednesday night to Thursday night. Because the Jewish day begins in the evening. That's why we read in Genesis, and there was evening and morning, the first day, evening and morning, the second day. Jews have, and here biblically as well, from the evening of one to the evening of the other, that's the day. So Wednesday night to Thursday night, afflict your souls. Just want to call you to do that. Here's a summary of what we're supposed to do or what it says about it. Sabbath of rest, do it forever, uh, no matter where you live. So around the world, it's for Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles who cling to Jesus, that is. And it's for one full day. Um, Isaiah 58, 10. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul. To help you answer, what does it mean to afflict your soul? I want to look at this verse. It says, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The opposite of affliction is to satisfy. So it implies that whatever enters you... <coughs> is going to go through your throat because that word afflicted soul there, it, the word in Hebrew, it literally uh, translates, I'm trying to remember here exactly how it was, but through the throat. That nephish soul. And so this is why that most Jews will fast on the Day of Atonement, because you are to basically not take anything through the throat. So they fast. But notice, nowhere in Scripture here did it say fast. It does tell you to do that in other cases, other festivals, fast. So they could have said fast, but instead it's this unique denying of the throat. In essence, what it's saying to practice self-denial. In other words, even your breath goes through the throat. Your life. It's not just food, but it's everything that feeds the flesh. So that we are to deny our flesh, in essence, is what it's saying that we should do. Um, just like Romans says that we are to put to death the deeds of the body. So... When we talk about afflicting your souls this week, that's basically what I want you to do. Deny your body. Don't give it the pleasure that it desires and cries out for. It goes well beyond food. Go ahead and fast. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's part of it. But it's basically saying, deny yourself. Numbers 15, if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally. 
when he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him, and it shall be give, forgiven him. You shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native-born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger who dwells among them. Even in the Old Testament, there was atonement made for the Gentiles. It wasn't like this was a new concept for the New Testament. They just had been so set in their ways they didn't see the prophecies pointing to it. Okay, So this is meant for us. The Day of Atonement, celebrate it. It's meant for you. Okay, I can buy that. Yeah, honor it. Celebrate days of fasting. Yeah, honor it. But what we see is there was a life for a life principle here. A life had to be given. This is what Jesus did to be our atonement. Right? Second uh, Corinthians 5.21 he, For he made him who knew no sin, Yeshua, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. A life for a life. All of this... The, all these sacrifices in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement was pointing to Yeshua. When we studied the book of Hebrews, we talked about this, that how this is taken out of context so many times, but the clear context of it was the Day of Atonement. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than all these animals, right? For in Christ, the better sacrifice... For Christ has not entered the holy places. Now, by the way, only on the Day of Atonement did the priest enter the most holy place. One day out of 365 did they enter that place. Again, telling us that the context here is the Day of Atonement. Christ entered that, which are copies of the true. But in not, he says, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, but it goes on, he would then have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So Jesus fulfilled atonement in the heavenly realms for us. What was going on in the temple, that was just a shadow of what Jesus was going to do. But somehow in the spiritual realm that I don't understand how it works, that's what he did. And that's what we are to remember so, Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We need to recognize that. That's part of this trumpet. Being ready. Repentance. A call to repentance. Be prepared. Repent and recognize you are a sinner. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of through him. Now wait a minute. If you've been justified by his blood, now you're saved from the wrath of God. That's something to celebrate. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, 
having been reconciled, having been saved from God's wrath, that's huge. How much more can it get? But it says much more. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Wait a minute. I thought the death of Jesus, that was the pinnacle of it all. Woohoo! We are delivered from wrath. But here it says much more than that. You're saved from by his life. In other words, being forgiven isn't just the end game here. Having life and having it more abundantly is what he wants you to have. Much more. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation, to be made right with God. That is as much as I have time to get through tonight. I will have to finish up some more Yom Kippur during the Feast of... Well, no, we'll have... uh, another week before. So we're going to be okay. But I won't get it in time for Day of Atonement. So uh, next week we'll kind of finish that and prepare you for tabernacles coming up. But be ready. Prepare yourself. This isn't just a weekend of camping that we're about to go through here next week. This is a time to meditate on these things and in a quick nutshell, it's this. Tabernacle, or, uh, trumpets, as we talked about tonight, be ready, the Lord's coming back. Atonement is Judgment Day. That is Judgment Day. And then after Judgment Day, what happens? You get to live with God. You get to tabernacle with Him. And so the Feast of Tabernacles is the most joyful celebration of all the celebrations they have. Because it is as we sung tonight, when our hope is now gone and we our faith becomes sight. That's what we're to celebrate next week. Is that faith is going to become sight. And we are going to tabernacle with Him. And so, get your party shoes on. All right? Because that's what we're going to do. Right now isn't time to party yet. Now is the time to prepare yourself and afflict your soul. So Wednesday night to Thursday night, join me in afflicting your soul, taking a Sabbath rest, and realizing the seriousness of atonement. The seriousness of your sin and of what Christ did in order to make you reconciled to God. The seriousness of your loved ones and your friends and those that you don't even know who will spend an eternity in hell because they do not know Yeshua Jesus. And if we truly believe that, it shouldn't be too difficult to afflict our souls. I'll tell you, when something really tragic happens in my life, I lose all my appetite. And if we truly believe that our loved ones and friends are going to hell, it should make us lose our appetite. We're supposed to be warning them. Judgment Day is coming this Thursday. So you better hurry. (laughs) Anyway, you get what I mean. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these festivals that you have given us to remember as memorials of not only what you have done, but what you're going to do. 
Lord, teach us your ways. We have neglected your word. We have been blinded by culture and society. We have been blinded by our own flesh and the desires that we have. We have been blinded by the the love of people and acceptance of people. We have been blinded by so many things. And I cry out in repentance, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that for so long I have compromised and not being completely truthful with people. Not loving them enough to warn them. Lord, let that end right now for all of us here. Let it end. And as this world falls apart, let us give people hope that the prince of this world already stands condemned. Judgment has been proclaimed. And it will soon be carried out. Thank you, Yeshua, that you have rescued us. Not only from this body of wrath and sin, but from the wrath of God. In Yeshua's name, amen.